three overarching principles that I want you to get before we say anything else this morning. First of all, God owns everything. I own nothing. Second, I am a steward and only a steward of everything that God has entrusted to me. Third, God can call me to account at any point in time. Let's turn our attention to our text this morning. Let me encourage you to stand if you have the ability. This is Mark writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, and these are the words that he pens. And he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything that she had. All she had to live on. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our great God stands forever. You may be seated. Four main points on your outline this morning would encourage you to continue taking notes. Number one is this. Jesus sees every gift that you give. Jesus sees every gift you give, every contribution you make, every, every offering that you bring. Jesus sees it. Let me direct your attention to verse 41. Look there in your Bible. Particularly verse 41a. It's everything before the first period. And he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Our text opens this morning with Jesus shifting his location to a different venue, a different area within the temple. Remember previously, so for the last handful of weeks, Jesus has confined uh, his conversation to the court of the Gentiles. Remember, the, the temple was an absolutely massive, massive structure. And it was divided up into various sections where certain individuals were permitted to go. Jesus, the last several weeks, when I say the last several weeks, this was all in one day. But the last several weeks of our study together uh, has been talking with uh, particular individuals and he has had those conversations in the court of Gentiles. This was the outer court, the largest court around the temple where everyone could enter. This is Jews and non-Jews, circumcised and uncircumcised, people who were educated in the law, people who were clueless when it came to the law of God. The rabbis and the teachers of the law, they typically gathered there in the court of Gentiles to listen to and to respond to people's questions about God. And it was in this court, this outer court of Gentiles, where Jesus' confrontation with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribe took place. But our text this morning brings us to the inner circle, or more inner circle of the temple. Now Jesus enters the smaller court of women. And the court of women was named such because men, women, and children were permitted to enter this part of the temple. Women in Jesus' day were not permitted 
to, to go beyond the court of women. They could come into the court of Gentiles. They could come into, as well as children, could come into the court of women. But beyond the wall of the court of women, uh, only the priests and men were allowed to go. And so Mark tells us here that Jesus sat down, presumably on some steps. There were some steps that led into the court of women there. He sat down opposite the treasury. You see, around the outer walls of the court of women were uh, 13 receptacles or trumpets, uh, as they were referred to, for temple offerings. And these receptacles, these offering boxes, were referred to or called trumpets because they were shaped like trumpets. They were narrow at the mouth where you would deposit your giving, and they were large or broad or wide at the base. And each one of these trumpets or each one of these giving receptacles was clearly marked and designated to receive offerings for a very specific purpose. According to the, the Mishnah, which is the, the actual written down record of Jewish oral tradition, uh, two of these receptacles, two of these trumpets were for the temple tax. One was for the purchase of young pigeons that would have been used in uh, sacrifice. One for turtle doves, one for wood, one for incense, uh, one for gold for the mercy seat, and the remaining six were used for just free will offerings. And so here you would have this offering receptacle. It would be clearly labeled as to what the offering that was deposited in that offering receptacle was to be used for. And Jesus is sitting here on the steps watching all that's going on. Jesus sits here with a watching eye as Passover crowds filed into the temple, into the court of women here, to give their offering. Now the word translated watching here, thereo, it means to observe thoughtfully, to observe thoughtfully, to consider thoughtfully. You see, Jesus paid, paid special attention to how the people were giving. You ever considered that Jesus was a people watcher? Jesus was a people watcher. He watched not only their actions, but he also discerned their motives. But in the crowded court here, no one even considered that they were being watched. Every individual, every group, every family unit, uh, the religious elite, the, the, the hoity-toity, and the poor widow, and everyone in between, as they filed past to give their offering in the temple, they did so without consideration that Jesus' watchful eye was on them. Friends, this is a good reminder to each one of us that we too are being watched. Even if we feel which we've got to be very careful with feelings, by the way. But even if we feel that God is nowhere, he's always watching over us with an eternal consciousness. The writer of Hebrews tells us that no creature is hidden from his sight, but each of us, every one of us without exception, are laid naked and exposed before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God is always watching He's watching not only what I do, but he sees into the heart. His watchful, thoughtful eye is discerning why I do what I do. Jesus, is, Jesus notices every gift that is given to him from the smallest to the largest. But he also sees, he also takes thoughtful consideration of the motive with which we give. In 1 Samuel 
chapter 2, Hannah is praying. It's a beautiful prayer there in 1 Samuel 2. And Hannah says this. She says, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him all actions are weighed. The Lord is a God of knowledge, and he weighs all of our actions. You, you, you think about it, you get the picture in your mind here of a scale, of a balance. God weighing our actions. God sees every gift you give. This brings us to our second point, and that's that Jesus cares about how you give. Write that down. Jesus cares about how you give. He sees not only what you give, but he cares about how you do it. Look back at your Bible there at verse 41 and verse 42. Mark writes, many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make only a penny. Which make only a penny. Again, the point here is that Jesus cares about how you give. If you've been around for any length of time, you know that I study, teach from, preach from, uh, am, am thoroughly excited about the English Standard Version of the Bible. I know that many of you use it, would encourage you to use it among other uh, very faithful translations. But the ESV, in this particular instance, does not translate super well a very small but very important word in verse 41. The ESV, if you've got that there on your lap, says this, Jesus watched the people putting money into the offering box. Now, if you have a New American Standard uh, Bible on your lap there, your Bible picks up on this one very small but very important word. The NASB translates this, Jesus began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. Did you catch the little missing word? It's the word how. Jesus was observing how people were putting money into the treasury. It's the word pos, which means in which way. Jesus was observing, Jesus was watching in which way people were putting money into the treasury. You see, Jesus isn't just observing the Passover crowd as they were giving. He was observing their motivation, the why behind their what. That's what Jesus has his eye on here. And what does Jesus see? Well, as Jesus sat, thoughtfully observing the passerbys, placed their offering in the treasury, he first saw many rich people putting in large sums. Matter of fact, there's a play on words here in the Koine Greek. Uh, a, a literal translation of the text here is many wealthy ones were casting in much money. Many wealthy ones were casting in or throwing in much money. The implication that's made here by that, uh, by that phrase was that those individuals, after they had put a large surplus in, still had a large surplus left over. That's the implication of the text here. Is that they had a large surplus after they had given. And so from across the temple court here, Jesus quietly watches those individuals, uh, presumably many who were of great importance, as they stopped in front of the offering box, they untied the top of their heavy money sack, and they noisily let a rush of gold and silver coins slide down the metal offering, or the metal opening to the offering box. 
we can only assume that some of the rich were practicing their righteousness to be seen by men, right? The very thing that, that Jesus tells us not to do in Matthew 6.1. We studied that back in our study of the Sermon on the Mount. Don't practice your righteousness that you might be seen by men. Friends, the seed of that sin is deeply entrenched in every single one of our hearts. Every single one of us, without exception, your pastor thoroughly included, is a people pleaser. We care about what people see, and we care about what people think, and we oftentimes act accordingly. And so while there were probably many who came to the, to the offering uh, box here this day, there were many who came to the, to the treasury to give their offering who had pure motives, it is undoubted. That many came to practice their righteousness before men, to be noticed by them. And Jesus said just two verses later in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 3, he said, When you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, don't toot your own horn. Don't make it visible. Don't tell everybody. Don't broadcast it. You have an audience of one. Your giving is to the Lord. Not that others may see what you're doing. And so among the many givers this day, surely some had uh, wonderful godly motives, but uh, undoubtedly uh, there were even potentially some pompous scribes who came to the treasury, who came to the offering receptacles to unload a widow's livelihood which they had just stolen. Remember our text from last week? Jesus took the scribes to task because he said they devoured widows' homes. They would go into widows' homes and they would make good friends with the widows so that when the widow passed away, she might bequeath her entire estate to the treasury. Some of that, of course, the scribes would skim off the top. And so here, probably on this day, as Jesus is sitting here watching, you have some scribes that are coming, absolutely unloading huge money sacks of coins which were taken from widows who were robbed. And they did so with a heart motivation that says, look at me, look at how big a giver I am. Well, these individuals garnered no applause from Jesus. Jesus did not stand and clap his hands as the weighty coins clanked down the offering receptacles. You see, it's important for us to be reminded that Jesus does not see as man sees. Remember, God looks uh, at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Think about the Old Testament passage. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. That's what the Lord is looking for. He does not see things as man sees things. Man sees the outward display and gives the attaboy and the congratulations. The Lord looks at the heart and can be displeased when everybody on the outside gives the clapping hands. As Jesus observes wealthy givers bringing their lavish contribution, the glisten of the gold, the sound of the metal uh, crashing down the offering receptacle, his eyes are fixated on a different individual. Jesus' eyes are fixed on one lowly woman who walks behind the crowd, a poor widow by herself with very little to her name. 
Look at your Bible there. Mark writes, a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make only a penny. Again, though our translations, neither the NASB or the ESV, pick up on this, this woman was alone. The original Greek text here begins this sentence with the word mia, or one. One poor widow came. She was alone. She likely walked through the bustling streets of Jerusalem that day by herself, without a friend, without a companion by her side, before slipping into the court of women to give her offering. She was alone. Which widows were in Jesus' day? They were very marginalized. Reminds me of the proverb, wise Solomon in Proverbs 14, or, uh, 19, verse 4, says uh, that wealth brings many friends. But a poor man is deserted by his friends. Wealth attracts. Wealth brings many people around you. Just ask a person who's won the lottery. But a poor man is disowned. Perhaps this was the case with this widowed woman. You see, this woman, in contrast to the showy giving of the wealthy, she brought two simple lepta, translated copper coins. The Greek word lepton, it means a tiny thing or a very thin thing. In Old English, it was translated a mite, uh, which we get our word uh, a crumb or a very small morsel from. You see, a lepta, what she gave there was the smallest, the thinnest, the least valuable coin in circulation. In purely financial terms, the, the value of this widow's offering was negligible. And it was unworthy of comparison to the amounts that were given by other more wealthy contributors. Both of her coins were equal to about one-fourth of a cent. It was nothing. It was absolutely negligible, especially, especially when compared with, with what other wealthy or rich people were giving. But we must remember, in God's divine exchange rate, things look drastically different. Why? Because God is looking at the heart. That which made absolutely no difference to the bottom line of the books of the treasury is absolutely immortalized in God's book as a, as a symbol or an example of what sacrificial giving looks like. Her two copper coins meant nothing to the bottom line of the treasury, but it meant everything to Jesus because Jesus was looking at the heart that accompanied the giving. Friends, it's good for us to be reminded again that how you give serves as a barometer of your spiritual life. How you give serves as a barometer of your spiritual life. Notice that what mattered to Jesus wasn't how much individuals gave, but rather the manner in which they gave. Some givers were drawing attention to themselves. They had self-centered motives. They were paying with heavy coins that made a whole lot of noise when they clanked in the depository there. They gave a large sum. The problem is that large sum required absolutely zero sacrifice, which I think is the entire theme of this passage. I think the theme of this passage is sacrifice. And in comparison or in contrast to the rich ones or the wealthy ones, the, the ones who, who had more, 
This woman sacrificed. She gave a fraction of the amount, but she gave sacrificially. Mark actually notes later on here that she gave all she had to live on. You see, in in watching how people gave, Jesus wasn't just sitting around with with his fist on his chin watching giving technique. He was weighing motives. He wants us to give out of our love and gratefulness for him, not because we're compelled to, and certainly not so that others will notice us. And so how should we give then? You'll want to jot these down on your outline here. First of all, we should give thankfully. When you come to give, brothers, sisters, I want to encourage you to give with a thankful heart. Our giving should be in response to what the Lord has done for us. When we consider passages like Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we consider passages like 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. When we consider passages like that and the myriad of other passages, it ought to mean that we give thankfully. We give in light of what God has done for us. It should cause our hearts to overflow with thankfulness. And when our hearts are brimming with thankfulness, sacrificial giving seems a whole lot easier. You catch the connection? When your heart is overwhelming, when you're uh, overflowing, when your heart is brimming forth with thankfulness for what God has done for you, it makes your giving, even your sacrificial giving till it hurts, a joyful response. A joyful response. Friends, a thankful heart is a giving heart. We don't give because God needs our money. Friends, if God needed our money... If he needed our money, then how much we gave would be much more important than how we gave. But that's absolutely not the case. God does not need your money. The son will sooner ask you for a blanket because it is cold than God will ask you for your money because he's poor. God does not need your money. Our giving is simply a reflex of God's gracious giving to us. And so let me ask you, and I am you, all of us together collectively, are we giving thankfully? Secondly, write this down, cheerfully. Are you giving cheerfully? Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He said, now I say this. He who, spo- who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let one do, that is, he's speaking about giving here. Let one do, let one give, just as he or she has purposed in their heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. You know what the word cheerful means in the original language, by the way? It is literally translated hilarious. God loves a cheerful giver. 
Translation, God loves a hilarious giver. A joyful, hilarious giver. And when you give cheerfully, you will give without developing bitterness or anger or resentment in your heart. Because again, God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your money. He wants us to give cheerfully, not begrudgingly. To give begrudgingly. If you walk back to the offering receptacle here on Sunday morning or in the lobby and you, you give your gift, you give your offering, but you do it begrudgingly, your offering is out of duty and not delight. It's not sacrifice at that point. It's not worship. God loves a cheerful giver. Are you giving cheerfully? Friends, you don't have to have much to give cheerfully. I'm trying to instill that in our children, even at an early age. You, know, you, you, you do chores or you, you work a job in exchange for pay. But out of that, are you, are you giving to the Lord? So we encourage them on Sundays to, to bring a portion of what they have earned to give. And to give cheerfully, not begrudgingly. Third, are you giving regularly? Regularly. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we're to make giving a regular part of our lives. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He said, now concerning the collection for the saints. This was the, the offering that was going uh, to, to the, the churches and the Christians in Jerusalem there. Paul said, I directed the churches of Galatia... So you also are to do, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. But you see this principle of regularity here. On the first day of every week, take something and put it aside. Put it aside. You see, many give only when they have excess. Probably all of us have felt this tension in our hearts at some point in time. Like, I want to give, but I don't feel like I have enough to give. And so when I give, it's because I have excess. Others do it only when they're motivated by conviction and guilt. The problem with that is when the guilt goes away, so does the giving. Are you giving regularly? Are you giving thankfully and cheerfully on a regular basis? And then lastly here this morning, and there's much more that could be said here, are you giving sacrificially? Are you giving sacrificially? In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote these words. He said, I do not believe that one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words... If our expenditure on comforts and luxuries and amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as ours, then we are probably giving way too little. If our giving does not pinch us or hamper us, then I might say we're giving too little. There ought to be some things that we should like to do and cannot do because our giving excludes them. That's challenging. That's challenging. 
There ought to be some things which we would love to do, jump at the chance to do, be a part of, places we would like to go, things we would like to see, things we would like to have, things that we would like to be a part of that we cannot because our giving excludes them. Friends, let me just encourage every one of us not to lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. We need to be reminding ourselves often to lay up our treasure in heaven. If it rots, rust, collects dust, or dies, don't invest in it. Don't invest in it. Are we giving sacrificially? I think about David in 1 Chronicles 24. David was called to offer a sacrifice to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornon, the Jebusite. And he said to Ornon, this is what he said, this is David speaking, he says, Give me the side of the threshing floor that I may build on it an altar to the Lord and give it to me at its full price. Charge me the full price. And how does Ornon reply here? Ornon says to David, take it, take the threshing floor and let my Lord the king do what he seems what is good to him. See? He goes on and says, I give the oxen for the burnt offerings and the threshing sledges for the wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I'll give it all to you so that you can can make an offering there to the Lord, that you can build an altar to the Lord there on the threshing floor. But King David replies to Ornon and says, no, I will buy them all at full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings, which cost me nothing. Sacrifice. Sacrificial giving. Let me offer this challenging thought here. If this widow had come to you this particular day in the temple and had stopped you and asked your counsel As to what she should do with her last two copper coins, what counsel would you have given her? If she had stopped you as she's walking down the steps there, walking into the court of women, and had asked you, Sir, ma'am, can I burden you for your time for just a moment? Here's my predicament. I'm a widow. I have very little to my name. I have two simple copper coins left, worth about a quarter of a cent. What should I do with them? What counsel would you have given her? How would you have replied? What would you have said? Would you have said something like, the Lord knows that these are your last two coins, and he would understand if you purchased bread instead. Or perhaps we might say, since you have two coins, why don't you give one and keep the other for your needs? I'm challenged as I consider the counsel I would have given her. Jesus commends her for giving the last of what she had in worship to the Lord. This certainly demonstrates her devotion and her surrendered heart to the Lord, but it also demonstrates her deep-rooted trust that God is able to provide for her every need. Friends, do we believe that? Does our giving reflect that? That God is able to provide for our every need? I think so often I'm tempted I know that there's no temptation that has seized me except that which is common to man, so I presume that many of us are tempted to hold back some. Why? Because we distrust 
that God will meet our every need. And so setting ourselves up as little lowercase gods of our own life, we think we have to keep some back in case there's an emergency. Yes, saving is a good thing. We see that principle all throughout the Proverbs. We see it in the ant who works hard uh, so that in, in the harder months there's some there. Saving is a good thing. Scripture speaks a lot about saving. But scripture speaks a whole lot about sacrificial giving, too. If God provided these two copper coins that this woman gave, could he not provide two more, or two hundred more, or two thousand more? Now, don't confuse what I'm saying here with, with the prosperity gospel garbage. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not saying give so that God will, will increase your bounty. If that's your motivation for giving, then your motivation for giving is wrong. We give out of an act of worship in response to what God has given to us. But at the same time, don't forget that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Don't forget that. Jesus calls us to turn away from our sin. And this includes our seeming insatiable hunger for control and self-trust. Which how we use the resources that God has entrusted to us will show, will prove whether or not we have an insatiable hunger for control and self-trust. You see, if we would follow Jesus, we must forget everything and everyone as a source of security and provision for us. We must forget everyone and everything else and remember that the Lord, the Lord provides for my needs. It is Christ and Christ alone. He has purchased me with his blood and I follow him with wholehearted devotion and trust. I couldn't shake these words from my mind this week as I studied. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Friends, brothers and sisters, are we giving sacrificially? Number three. We'll move relatively quickly here. Jesus evaluates your giving on the basis of its costliness. Jesus evaluates your giving on the basis of its costliness. Look at verses 43 and 44. And he, Jesus, called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor woman has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they, that's the wealthy ones, contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put everything she had in, all she had to live on. You see, there's a principle here in this passage. And the principle is this. It's not the portion of your giving that's most important, but it's the proportion of your giving that's most important. Not the portion, but the proportion. How you sacrificially give reveals the state of your heart in a way that few other things can. So Jesus calls his disciples here, to himself, and he sets for them this woman as an example. She's an example. Everything about this woman has been, deter has been described in terms of less 
especially when we compare the amount she gave to the amount the wealthy gave. But her giving was larger in the eyes of the Lord. And so there's an ironic statement there. She's given more, but yet everything about her seems to scream less. Again, Jesus doesn't see things as man sees things. Jesus sees and values the heart. Jesus measures our gifts on this basis. He doesn't count the coins. Rather, he places our hearts on the scale. He measures our gifts not by what we give, but by what is left over after we give. For Jesus, the value of a gift isn't the amount given, but rather the cost to the giver. Jesus evaluates our giving on the basis of its costliness. This point will be highlighted again uh, in the story of the woman who poured costly alabaster perfume on Jesus' head in just a couple of chapters later in Mark chapter 14. Remember, she's chided uh, for wasting that perfume. But Jesus says, no, she's, she's used it properly. She has sacrificed that costly item in worship for me. Furthermore, the widow here in our text, she challenges the mindset that says, when I, uh, when I have more, I'll give more. She challenges that mindset, which is rooted in all of us. When I have more, I'll give more. The widow had virtually nothing, but yet she was a massive giver. She was a massive giver. Any of you ever heard the story of the chicken and the pig? Well, let me ask you this question then. In a bacon and egg breakfast, what's the difference between the chicken and the pig? In a bacon and egg breakfast, what's the difference between the chicken and the pig? Well, the answer is this. The chicken is involved, but the pig is sacrificially committed. And that's the difference. This woman was sacrificially committed in worship to the Lord. Others in the temple that day gave what they could spare, but this woman, she spared nothing. Others gave from their surplus, but she gave from her need. Matter of fact, Mark says all she had to give on. And notice here that Jesus does not say that the widow put in more than any one of them. Look at your Bible. Jesus says the widow put in more than all of them, that is, combined. It's likely this woman did not have anything left over to eat this evening. It's likely that she went hungry. It's likely that she went without daily bread because she had given her last two copper coins in an offering to the Lord. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Her gift was a true consecration of her whole life. Again, friends, at the end of the day, God does not want your money. Does it take money to, to, to operate the ministries of the local church? It does. But what God wants more than your money is your heart. If he has your heart, he has your wallet. Because the two are connected. If your heart is fully surrendered to him, then not a mite would you withhold, right? Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Number four, lastly here, and I just stated this fact, more than your money, Jesus wants your heart. More than your money, Jesus wants your heart. Jesus used this poor widow's example to teach his disciple the value that God places on wholehearted commitment. 
Does Jesus have your whole heart? Is your heart wholeheartedly committed to him? The disciples' own commitment to Jesus would be severely tested in just a couple of chapters, again on into chapter 14. And so Jesus holds this woman up as an example to them of what wholehearted commitment looks like. Matter of fact, the initial call of Jesus to these fishermen beside the sea was to leave all and to come and follow him. And that call is perfectly exemplified, perfectly fulfilled in the, in the poor widow's giving of all she had to live on, which symbolizes an undivided heart. I was thinking about a quote that I came across this week in my study, and I'll, I'll leave us with this. What we gave, we have. What we spent, we had. And what we left, we lost. What we gave, we have. What we spent, we had. And what we left, we lost. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to challenge you this morning. Are you giving thankfully? Are you giving cheerfully? Are you giving regularly? And are you giving sacrificially? In reflex, as a response to what the Lord has given to you. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Such challenging content here. Uh, Lord, we know that you are much more interested in our hearts than you are uh, with our actions. But uh, that's not to create a false dichotomy. You are interested in our actions. Uh, but the reality is that our actions will always follow our heart. And so, God, help us to have right priorities. Help us to, uh, to, to prioritize our life and our giving and our service uh, in a way that is sacrificial. If we don't have to say no to some things that we would much rather do or be a part of or have, then it's very possible that we're not giving sacrificially. And Lord, we don't aim this morning, it is certainly not my aim to make anyone feel guilty. Lord, we don't want people to give begrudgingly. We want them to give cheerfully, joyfully, out of an overflow in response to. And so, God, I simply ask as a shepherd that you would give each of us, myself included, the shepherd included, a heart that overflows with joyful sacrifice to you. And then, Lord, we would say, not a, not a mite would I withhold if it's our two last copper coins. They're for you because we trust you to provide for all of our needs. Lord, thank you that you've provided for our greatest need in the person and work of your son. Thank you that Jesus hung on Calvary's cross as a perfect sacrifice for sin. Thank you that he bore the wrath. He bore the weight of your sovereign, unmitigated wrath that was reserved for me. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. But Jesus, thank you that you wash it white as snow. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.